I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in March of 2021. And today we're going to be talking about changes required in the global food system to stop our agricultural and dietary practices from being the principal driver of biodiversity loss and extinction of species in the world. Specifically, we'll discuss the findings of recommendations from an important global report titled Food System Impacts on Biodiversity Loss with one of the recent report authors, Dr. Helen Harwatt, with the UK independent research organization, Chatham House. Chatham House is a world-leading policy institute with a mission to help governments and societies build a sustainably secure, prosperous, and just world. They pursue their mission through dialogue, analysis, and solutions-based ideas, and by empowering the next generation to build a better world. Their three goals for the future are sustainable and equitable growth, peaceful and thriving societies, and accountable, inclusive governments. I love that. Their website is chathamhouse.org. That's spelled C-H-A-T-H-A-M house.org. And on the Facebook page for In Tune to Nature and on our Podbean site, I'll link to the latest biodiversity report that we're going to be talking about today so you can read it. Our guest today is the report author, Dr. Helen Harwatt, a senior research fellow in the Energy, Environment, and Resources Program at Chatham House. Dr. Harwatt focuses on food system shifts to identify pathways towards creating Paris-compliant food systems that minimize adverse environmental impacts, maximize public health benefits, and address ethical issues. She's a frequent panelist and speaker at conferences and events around the world, and is currently part of the leadership team for Action Track 2 of the UN Food Systems Summit. Prior to joining Chatham House, Dr. Harwatt completed a research fellowship at Harvard Law School, exploring dietary shifts from animal to plant-based as an option for meeting climate goals and restoring native ecosystems, and remains a visiting fellow. She has completed several additional research fellowships in the UK and USA, and worked with NGOs to design food procurement assessment schemes and tools for the food service sector. Welcome, Dr. Harwatt. Hi, Carrie. Thanks very much for having us on. Yeah, I'm so excited uh, about this report and uh, the suggestions that you have. So, but let's start with a premise of your report. And so one of the premises is, and, and you provide evidence for this, that the global food system is the primary driver of our accelerating loss of species and biodiversity world, worldwide. So how and why is the food system such a core problem for nature and wildlife? Yeah, thanks, Kara. It's a really good question. And there's quite a number of ways that we can go into. I'll just briefly overview those. Um, so obviously, the first one is chemical use, which I'm sure would be kind of top of people's minds. So we're talking about pesticides and mm. fertilizers, for example, but also manures. So things that are applied to the land and work their way into waterways, for example. So that's one of the kind of obvious impacts. There's also land clearance. So when we think of deforestation as an example, so here we are removing habitats, we're bringing different species into contact with each other that wouldn't um, otherwise be in contact. And we're also causing more competition for food and other resources by removing that habitat. We also have monocultures rather than polycultures. So this is essentially 
um, uniform crop production across large areas of land, which essentially provides very little opportunity for diversity of wildlife as it reduces the food and habitat types that are available. And related to this is a lack of diversity in food production. So we're really growing a small amount of foods compared to the many more that we could be growing. So as an example, in the UK, crop production is dominated by seven crops, which actually take up 91% of cropland. So that's wheat, uh, grass, barley, rapeseed, sugar beet, potatoes and oats. Um, we also have the direct killing of wildlife. So, for example, farmers removing potential predators such as wolves that might interfere with farmed animals or animals that are seen to spread disease such as badgers in the UK that are thought to spread TB to cattle. Um, in terms of the types of foods uh, that are or agriculture that's the most problematic, we see that animal agriculture has a disproportionately large impact. So it has the biggest burden in all of this is it uses huge amounts of crops to feed the animals, water, chemicals involved in that. It's responsible for a large amount of greenhouse gas emissions and also takes up the majority of agricultural land in return for a relatively little contribution to the food system in terms of nutrition. And on top of that, food waste is also a really big issue. We need to grow much less food if we reduced uh, food waste. That's a great summary of so <laughs> many issues, very uh, su uh, succinctly put. And your you mentioned um, greenhouse gas emissions. Just briefly, your report even notes how our food system's greenhouse gas contributions to you know add to the climate crisis, and that ends up accelerating biodiversity loss too. How does um, biodiversity loss relate to the climate crisis, which is, um, you know, exacerbated by our food choices? Yeah, another great question. So as you mentioned, the food system does have a massive contribution to climate change. It's responsible for around 30% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And climate change has a range of impacts again. Um, so for example, the impacts of climate change can make habitats unviable. So this can force wildlife to actually migrate and basically find new homes. Mm. Um, and that can lead them to compete with other wildlife that's already living there um, or compete for resources such as food and water. We also see wildfires, for example, yes. that, can, that can cause massive um, impacts for wildlife and also food and water shortages as well can occur. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that you mentioned all the migration because we're gonna be talking a lot throughout our lives about climate refugees and we typically think of them as human and they will be human, but they'll also be non-human animals as well, having to migrate as climates change and that means their food changes. And then as you mentioned, that throws different species together who aren't normally together, which can, um, you know, cause so many, uh, so many problems. Well, I, your report is, is excellent in um, explaining all the problems. And I do think people should look at the report because it has a lot of really interesting and detailed charts in it as well. Um, but also what I like is that you talk a lot about solutions. And in this, you, you all use the word 
levers that we could um, kind of push and play with to um, ensure we are making good choices. So I'd like you to ex expand upon the three solutions that you propose in your report to transform the food system to stop biodiversity loss. And let me just list them first for our listeners. Um, first is to encourage a shift towards plant-based diets. Second is to protect ecosystems and natural areas. And third is to shift to sustainable farming practices, and all of which you say are interdependent and thus need to happen together. Let's start with the first um, solution or lever of encouraging dietary shifts towards eating plant-based food and thus eating fewer animal-based foods. How is, is that a solution? Yeah, sure. So this essentially this shift would reduce the impacts of the food system across the board. So all of those impacts that we've just been talking about essentially would be massively reduced, as we've already pointed out, that animal agriculture has a disproportionate impact in all of this. So reducing that and increasing our consumption of plants would definitely take us a long way. Um, I'll come back to that in a second. So the second point is to preserve and restore native ecosystems. Yeah. Um, so the main value is in preserving ecosystems rather than sort of deforesting them now, doing something else with that land and then restoring that forest later on. So it's actually much more valuable from a biodiversity perspective to actually prevent that deforestation in the first place right. because we we can't ever guarantee that we're going to get that same level of biodiversity back oh i mean it can take decades yeah, decades exactly. or millennia to get yeah. the biodiversity back yes yeah so you're not really getting it back you're you're getting a different version right. of that um, which will never really be the same as its previous version. So we really want to prevent losing those ecosystems in the first place. But we also need to restore some of the ecosystems that have been converted to farmland. So we've had massive amounts of deforestation converted to farmland. And what we really need to do is to start converting some of that farmland back to its original ecosystems. So this is not only to help biodiversity, but also to remove emissions from the atmosphere and help tackle climate change as well. So we're essentially locking up those emissions in carbon sinks. Right. By rewilding some of the um, pasture, the, the grazing land or, or um, farming land um, and rewilding it so that it has more trees and other things, uh, other um, natural habitat and, and then that's a carbon sequester, as you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. So the third point is farming in a way that's less, less detrimental compared right. to currently. So this is um, using fewer chemicals. So we're thinking here about precision agriculture, where we're applying those chemicals in a much more precise way. So we actually need to use less overall. Um, but also farming in a way that provides more space for wildlife. So this might just be simply leaving patches of sort of rough habitat or, or land available for wildlife to actually live in that farm farming space. But I think the really key thing here, and which is why we describe these three as levers, is that the extent to which the second and third options can actually be implemented really depends on how far we go with the first lever, so how far we go on the plant-based diet spectrum, if you like. 
Um, right. And this is because the second and third levers really re require a reduction in the amount of land that's mm. used for agriculture. So when we think about even about preserving current ecosystems, we need to not basically be converting those to farmland. So that requires us to actually be using less um, farmland now and going forward in order to avoid that sort of growth in population leading to a growth in food demand going forward. Um, but also if we use less farmland by going towards plant-based diets, it gives us the option then to actually restore some of those habitats that we've lost by converting that farmland back to its native ecosystem cover. And similarly, for the, the third point about farming in a more nature-friendly way, to do that actually requires more land. So again, if we reduce the amount of land overall that we need for agriculture by shifting to more plant-based diets, that gives us more room to play with that lever as well. So it's really, there are interdependencies, but the main point I think to make here is that if we don't do the first lever, we really can't do the second and third levers. And some of that is because like in some of the most biodiverse areas, such as tropical rainforest, uh, the Amazon rainforest being the one that we think of the most, um, most of the deforestation is happening from what I understand because of cattle grazing or um, planting crops, in particular soy, a lot of which goes to feed farmed animals. And so if we didn't have as much demand for the cattle, then we wouldn't need to keep, um, you know, deforesting areas. But as the human population grows, if all the, the population wants to continue to eat the amount of meat that we have tended to eat in the Western world, it just kind of drives an increasing demand. Yeah, exactly. So we have the increase in demand to sort of keep up with population growth and, and current dietary patterns. Um, and then we also have the fact that animal agriculture does use massive amounts of agricultural land. Right. So going to a more plant-based diet would essentially reduce that, that pressure and free up land. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature, and I'm host Carrie Freeman interviewing Dr. Helen Harwat, a food policy expert and a senior research fellow at Chatham House in the UK. We're talking about their latest report from February 2021 titled Food System Impacts on Biodiversity Loss. It can be found at their website, chathamhouse.org. That's C-H-A-T-H-A-M, chathamhouse.org. Dr. Harwart, why is the timing of this biodiversity report in 2021 uh, during the pandemic so strategic in terms of taking advantage of the policy changes that are happening or that need to happen, like to recover from this pandemic and prevent future pandemics? Like how is uh, food necessary as part of um, this, this chain of policy <laughs> events um, that need to be considered while everyone's thinking about has the pandemic on their mind right now, all the government leaders. Yeah, sure. So there's, there's a few different points to cover in this. So first of all, 
I mean, the spending plans that we're seeing for the COVID-19 recovery are unprecedented. Yes. <laughs> and this is a promising sign as it means that we can respond to crises and these spending and response processes aren't locked in or limited in the ways that we might have previously thought. But we also need to factor in building back in a way that minimizes the risk of future pandemics, because otherwise, you know, we could just be back in this situation all over again and we might even have worse um, outcomes next time. Right. So that means tackling climate change, preventing ecosystem and habitat loss, restoring lost habitats and ecosystems, and also reducing the possibility for such novel diseases to occur. So essentially preventing that mixture of humans, wild animals and farmed animals. So this really takes us back to our levers. So with the first lever shifting to plant-based diets actually helps to reduce the number of farmed animals on the planet. It reduces the amount of land that we need for agriculture. And it also allows us to, um, well, sorry, it also helps us um, avoid converting current ecosystems to agriculture by reducing that demand for land and it allows us to restore some ecosystems on existing farmland that's no longer needed right and And some of this thinking about how um like swine flu or um the the bird flus that we've seen in the past which can cause other pandemics um sometimes originate from um confined animal feeding operations, factory farming situations where you have such density of farmed animals um, or times where humans come in contact with certain species, which for example, bats uh, might be one species that carry certain zoonotic diseases. Um, And so the more we deforest land, especially for meat-based foods, we're then coming in contact with different species that could spread Um, diseases to the human population. Exactly. So there are just multiple points of risk in the food system that we need to be aware of and and mitigate. Um, And in terms of timing, so there are a number of high-level policy events taking place this year. So we have the United Nations Food Systems Summit, for example, which will be taking place in September. We have the COP26 Climate Change Conference in November, the Nutrition for Growth Summit, and the Convention on Biological Diversity's COP15 Conference later on this year, just um, for a handful of those. So there are a number of opportunities and platforms to raise these issues in a comprehensive way across the various policy issues, including climate, biodiversity and public health. I hope that uh, the Chatham House and you are going to be involved in some of these summits that you mentioned so that you can share your report with them. Is that is that something that you're going to be able to do? Yeah, that, that's the plan. I mean, we, <laughs> it's all quite uh, vague right now, but we, we certainly hope to do that. Tell your bosses, I'm telling them they need to send you to these summits so that you can share this information while the timing is so uh, ripe for these kinds of of changes so that agriculture doesn't get overlooked um, when we're talking about, yeah, public health. Now, what are some of the main policymaking actions your report recommends for international leaders? 
Yeah, I mean, we didn't recommend specific policy changes in this paper. Okay. Um, we're mainly planning those for the second phase of the project. But in light of the numerous high-level political events that I've just mentioned that are taking yeah. place over the course of the year, we recommended actions on three main fronts, really, to advance effort, efforts to establish a biodiversity supporting food system. So, I mean, not in order of any importance, but one point is to take production and consumption into account. Mm. So, for example, a country might make its agricultural sector world class, but if it continues to import the same foods to meet existing dietary demands in that country, then we're not actually reducing the overall impact. We're just shifting those problems elsewhere. And we'll continue to see the expansion of agricultural land at the cost of native ecosystems. Or if we look at it another way, in the UK, for example, 50% of the food consumed here is imported. So even if we change production methods in the UK, we're not doing anything to affect the 50% of food that's imported. So it's really important that we not only look at production, which is the case for climate change plans, for example, but we also look at consumption as well. Yeah, like you've um, got to change people's dietary habits or else we're going to find, like if you want cheap meat, you're going to find it somewhere in the world and it's going to come to you. But if you're asking for something else, plant-based proteins, you know, then you can find them and hopefully you can find them locally from your own um, nation. Yeah, I mean, the key thing really is that we don't we can't be sort of offset in our consumption impacts elsewhere so we can't be shifting problems elsewhere because overall globally that doesn't actually reduce the problems right um the second point is that we recommended the the un food system summit really embeds a food systems approach across the other key international processes including the un climate negotiations to really bring together these interdependent policy threads around climate change, environmental sustainability, inclusive prosperity, and improved public health and well-being. So the, the food system approach really sort of encompasses such a wide range of issues. So that was one of our sort of key recommendations that that approach is taken across those international processes. Rather than looking at single issues such as uh, food waste or food miles, kind of breaking the food system down into these smaller components. It's really important to take that big, that bigger perspective. And similarly, rather than just breaking it down into a climate issue or a public health issue, actually look across those um, interdependent threads to take that that wider approach. Um, and the the third point is that we suggested accounting frameworks really need to much better include biodiversity and support biodiversity protection. So currently yeah. they don't really do that. Um, and that's really a key gap. Um, so if we're not accounting things, then how are we actually going to manage that and sort of mitigate it? Uh, we also suggested the need for global guidelines on responsible investment, on dietary change and on nature-based solutions to really help to guide national level action plans, but in a, a consistent way globally, so that we're basically all, we're, we're working 
to the same kind of guidelines. So we're, we're much more aligned with uh, the bigger sort of climate goals and biodiversity agenda. I like those recommendations. Well, to wrap up really briefly, Dr. Howard, can you tell any interested listeners how they can get involved with promoting this Chatham House Food Initiative um, in your report, maybe with policymakers locally or globally? Yep, sure. Um, so the report is freely available on our website, which I know you've mentioned a couple of times. So they can share that report, they can download it. Um, they can also submit it to their governments or local right. governments. So for example, some have public consultations on nature issues or climate issues or public health or anything where it, that sort of fits. You can submit evidence to those public consultations. Mm -hmm. So that could be one way to use it. Um, also, uh, yeah, just sharing it on their own platforms as well, I guess. Yeah. Um, also, the UN Food Systems Summit has a call for game-changing solutions. So if people are listening and they feel like they have a great idea about what actually is needed to address these issues, then they could certainly submit their ideas to the, to the summit. And they will be taken in and considered for um, actually adopting by various member states as well. Um, well, like on your, your Chatham House Facebook page or something, will you link to that when the timing is right? Um, to that opportunity for public comment? Because if so, then people could follow, you know, you on Facebook or something, you know, to stay on, on top of that. Yeah, I mean, they could certainly follow me. Okay. Um, yeah, on my Twitter handle, that's just H Howard uh, at H Howard. Um, and that's H A R W A T T. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I will certainly post that link when when the second round is up and running. Uh, oh, I think you great. can just go to the the Food System Summit website right now, actually, okay. and submit and submit that that solution if anyone has an idea. That's great. Well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Dr. Helen Harwatt, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And thank you for the work you've been doing at Chatham House and in your career to promote plant-based eating and green reforms to our food system. It's going to benefit people, fellow animals, and the planet. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Carrie. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com backslash Nature. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman asking you to please support independent, non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species. Thank you for listening. Cheers.